Now, the challenge is that if you're a compliance executive, your controls need to work uniformly, regardless of where you are. So you need to be securing an individual, not securing the particular location that individual is located in. So if I am using Zoom in the office, my client may be on Zoom on their mobile device, you know, in Lake Tahoe, the compliance exec somewhere else. I need to make sure that all of these things work regardless of location, regardless of the technology. So the problem is increased exponentially just in terms of making sure you don't have blind spots. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome back for another episode today. I'm thrilled to have with me Robert Cruz. Robert and I are going to talk about not only one of the most difficult challenges for every commercial operation, financial institution, regulated industry, but also one of the most topical. So, Robert, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Really appreciate it. Robert, could you tell our audience a little bit about your professional background and your current role? Sure. My current role is the Vice President of Information Governance for Smarsh. We are a provider of electronic communications capture, storage, and supervisory solutions. So we serve a lot of large banks as well as investment advisors and broker-dealers. I tend to engage with our customer practitioners, the attorneys, the folks worried about compliance, and probably professionally, three things that are unusual about me. Number one is that I've been in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Two, I am a native Californian, which is increasingly rare in this area. And three is that throughout my career, I've had this linkage to compliance and regulatory and e-discovery and risk. So of all the interesting areas of technology, GRC has kind of stuck to me. So it's been pretty much the entirety of the last 25 years I've been, been in this area. So Robert, many of the listeners to this podcast are compliance professionals both in financial services, other regulated industries such as insurance, but also in U.S. public companies or privately held companies that may not be called a traditional regulated industry. So one of the things that intrigued me the most about, or one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, is obviously your background, your professional background and experience, SMARSH, and the tools you have for regulated industries and financial institutions. But I see a much broader remit for the strategies, solutions, that Smarsh and yourself bring to the market. So I'm going to try and see if I can uh, explore that a little bit. But I was wondering if you could start with telling us a little bit about communications intelligence, really the platform, the genesis of it, and what you hope to accomplish and do accomplish with your customers who use it. Yeah, thanks. This is a, a solution to a problem that we believe more organizations are now finding themselves in. And as you mentioned, within the financial services space, they've had explicit mandates historically that they need to have a historical record of, of their business, you know, the interaction with a client or how they collaborate internally. Firms have had the need to capture and preserve this for multiple years. What we're finding, though, is that everyone is faced with the same situation today, which is, you know, we're all wrestling with the idea of working from anywhere whether that's home office, some combination. And everyone is wrestling with the proliferation of new communication tools. And so whether you're a bank or an insurance firm or a high-tech firm, most likely you're starting to see 
Slack and WhatsApp and WeChat and TikTok and Signal and Discord and House Party, these things are all starting to hit the workplace. And I think one of the challenges is, how do I govern this? All of these technologies are different. So what we were trying to do is basically say, you know, given the variety of information, it's causing firms to realize that the systems they have aren't really suited for purpose. A lot of the systems they have for control, for regulatory and other risk controls were really predicated upon the use of email or files or documents. And the problem companies are now having is, how do I understand this variety of content? How do I find risk when risk can move freely between silos of information, you know, different needles that are all different, you know, in different haystacks of various forms and structures. So our communications intelligence strategy and platform is basically looking to help customers bring this into a central point of control so they can not only identify the risk, but also that they can leverage this information as an asset of their business. We're seeing this pretty frequently now where companies are saying, I could really learn a lot about what these communications are telling me about my customer. And so they're, they're trying to be responsive and move with greater agility. And our communications intelligence platform is trying to help them do that, to change the relationship with their information. So I grew up professionally in Houston, Texas, and this year is the 20th anniversary of the collapse of Enron. Prior to the collapse, I was involved in several cases around trading disputes. And back then, they actually physically recorded communications so that there was a documented record. And it seems to me that, so this requirement has been known for a long time. It's been around for a long time. But as communications have evolved, strategies to capture these types of communications have had to evolve. But you said something extraordinarily interesting, which was this is more than simply responding to a regulatory requirement. This is utilizing cutting-edge technology to help companies, and I hope I wrote this down right, leverage communications as a business asset. Could you expand on that a little bit? Sure. I think one of the things that companies have been hamstrung by is the rigidity of their systems, the challenge in being able to respond to, to new customers, to explore new geographic markets, to understand how I can leverage this data to drive my business, to drive other applications like KYC initiatives or business intelligence initiatives. So I think the key thing to recognize in all of these new communication sources is that this is just a new way for individuals to engage. These are the platforms they're comfortable and familiar with. Hey, if you can engage on their terms, on you know the platform that they're comfortable with, it's allowing you to expand your market. Some of this is driven by by Gen Z and retail investors, but it's just it's a new entrant demographically into the marketplace. And if you can help a firm control this data, this information, you know, you're allowing them to be responsive to that new client, to be able to take advantage of this new geographic market where you can store data within the EU. So it's, it's that enablement and agility that we're seeing. If companies get their house in order, they're able to look at some of these opportunities they weren't able to explore in the past. How does either the tool or services you've discussed help a company separate the noise because many business people will tell compliance people, this is way too much noise. And even some compliance people say, I can't hear, see the chaff, the wheat for the chaff because it's a noise. First of all, could you explain what communications noise is and how Smarsh can help a company really separate that noise out? Sure. And I think I'd look at this as 
the time and the energy and the opportunity cost that comes from chasing issues that, weren't, that aren't really issues. You could describe this as false positives, but if I see a word that looks like it may be an infraction, whether it's a regulatory infraction, or maybe it's something that is the name of a, a secret entity that our organization you know, is engaged in, it could be a thing that is a problem for me to look at. 90 plus percent of these flags that go up are false positives. And so the noise is really directing the energy to things that aren't a concern to your business. So the challenge of separating the noise and the chaff, as I mentioned, is the fact that now that you're engaging through all these different tools, what looks like an, an infraction in one communication source, it's going to look entirely different in another source. If I'm looking for the word pineapple, it may be something that I've encoded as a, a policy flag. And if it's in proximity of Myers rum and a little umbrella within it inside of it, no, that's perfectly acceptable. That's not an issue with pineapple. But if pineapple appears in any proximity to pizza, you know, that may be an international security incident. It's context of how that flag has risen, given all the ways it can be expressed in these different communication sources. So when you sit down and have communications or rather conversations, I should say, with your clients or potential clients, I would hope the compliance professional understands this is a mandated part of the compliance function and that's something they have to do. But when you move to this leveraging these communications as a business asset, is that a conversation that compliance or business professionals they're receptive to? Yes. I mean, clearly there are, there are those that will always be in a mode where they're you know, very constrained by resources and allowing your business to communicate through new sources means you know, at the outset, more burden, more oversight, more need to go through and supervise these communications. But we're seeing more compliance officers that are realizing they don't want to be the gatekeeper. They want to enable the business. And if they can partner with the business to allow the firm to use TikTok or WhatsApp, that's added to value to the organization. And I think it puts compliance in a position of bringing more to the party than just saying no, or just looking at policy flags or you know, running supervisory policies against a set of lexicons. It's an opportunity for the compliance function to really be a more instrument of growth inside of their organizations. So one of my favorite phrases is compliance does not want to be Dr. No from the land of no. And it strikes me that that's exactly what you just said. Yes. And Fortunately, for all the things we're going through right now with the work environment and the digital tools, we're seeing compliance as much more central in that upfront due diligence, the third-party risk analysis of, do I really want to allow my company to use this technology? Then, along with security and privacy and the business unit, making that collective decision. So it's good to see that that, that holistic view of risk and value is happening more frequently. We've mentioned the financial services sector several times in this podcast already, but they have a set of unique regulatory requirements on them. So I was wondering if you could spend a few minutes talking about the unique challenges or the challenges rather unique to the financial sector, services sector, and how the platform assists in resolving those challenges. Sure. You know, I think the one area of the market that is the most explicit in terms of the obligation firms have is in wealth management. So the, the broker dealer, the investment advisors, you know, because of functioning of the securities market and the needing to protect investors, there's extra safeguards that firms have to follow 
most typically referred to as supervisory obligations. You know, they have to have a policy and demonstrate they're following it. So that for a lot of firms entails that they review under some established protocols a certain quantity or a certain you know set of of terms for infractions. So that's explicit. That's what is the mandate that drives companies to us. But when you look broader than that, every firm that we do business with has this patchwork of regulators that they need to deal with from ranging from the SEC and FINRA to the DOJ to the CFPB to the Commodities Futures. You know, every firm we're dealing with is that level of complexity. So for all those regulatory bodies, everyone has their own variants on kind of what's what constitutes a business record and what form of inspection does a firm need to undertake. So financial is most complex because of the variety of issues that may arise from anti-money laundering to internal misbehavior to other things that may cause leakage of intellectual property. So it's a higher bar. It's probably the most severe set of conditions that an industry has to go through just to ensure that they're properly managing information risk. Robert, one of the reasons I was so excited to be able to visit with you is your obvious background in working with financial services sector, but a large number of the listeners to this podcast are in non-financial services, U.S. public corporations. And it really strikes me that everything you just detailed about capturing information, be able to present to regulators using communications and leveraging that as a business asset is equally applicable to a U.S. public company who may not have the regulatory requirements of the financial services sector. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And just, you know, when you look at our market space, and, you know, I mentioned records a couple of times, let me decode that. It's basically any industry that has an obligation to retain information. You know, you need to have information like email under retention, the same way that you might have had data from an ECM system stored for a year or three years or five years. Energy, healthcare, utilities, pharmaceuticals, government, they're all very familiar with that record-keeping requirement. But, you know, again, because of today, we're hearing from services companies, from manufacturing firms, from high tech. And the issue is they used to, the lifeblood of their business used to be email. It used to be the ability to collaborate on a Word document. That hasn't happened for the past two years or not to the same level. And so now it's the fact that we're living on Microsoft Teams or on Zoom or on Slack. And if 90% of my employees are engaged 90% of their workday, chances are they're creating, sharing, or potentially leaking information that could be relevant, important, have value to the organization. So we've done business with a manufacturer of dog food because they're on Slack all day long. And so it's like, the question is, are you confident that you can create a historical record of what took place on that communication source if it happened to come up in litigation? Or if there happened to be an issue of Slack bullying where an employee was being harassed, to what extent can you go back and see everything that took place you know, over some period of time? It's really causing a lot of firms to think about records management for the first time, but we're seeing quite a bit of that. Let me turn now to the regulators, because one of the challenges for many in the compliance function is when the regulators come knocking, if it doesn't exist in some sort of documentary form or recorded form, in a regular's eyes, it never happens. So you may have the most compliant program, but if you don't have the records to substantiate that, you can't 
demonstrate that to a regulator. But when the SEC or the CFTC or any of the other alphabet agencies you name come knocking, how much time does a compliance officer or even a company have to respond? Is it the length of time of the subpoena? Is it we're going to be back in 48 hours? How do you help a client sort of prepare for that? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, the response times obviously vary depending upon the jurisdiction and whether it's you know a regulatory related request versus from a judge with a, you know a court order behind it. But you really hit the nail on the head. It's the question of my choice of either proactively capturing and storing information versus hoping I can find it when I need it is critical. Because think of you know one specific example: your mobile phone. And more firms are making an explicit decision to capture business-related communications that are happening on a mobile device, because the alternative is to go mud-wrestle with AT&T or Verizon, and then good luck in trying to retrieve a full record of what took place over a series of text messages or calls that may have taken place a year ago. So helping a customer sort through that is really just looking at what are what would be my method of fulfillment if I don't capture this information by relying upon the original source of that content? So the risks are different now because now you're dealing with so many different communication sources. They're all unique. And frankly, some of, of these providers don't know the first thing about your regulatory or your, or your litigation obligations. They just, this is not their business. So it's putting a lot of risk in the hands of, you're depending upon technology companies, which may or may not understand your obligations. So, Robert, having the tools in place is one part of an overall compliance solution. You also have to have policies and procedures. You have to have training on that. You have to have continuous monitoring or monitoring, and then you have to have continuous improvement or improvement. How do you help a client really think through all of those steps in addition to what you've described around the tool itself? Great question. And the key thing to consider there is, number one, none of this is static. And so even if you've made a decision to run your business on Microsoft Teams, guess what? There is a new feature rolling out on a very regular basis for Microsoft Teams, and chances are it may have been defaulted on. Your compliance team may not be aware of it, but it starts to show up amongst your users. And so the fact that the rate of innovation has accelerated means that every new communication source is evolving. Teams is trying to outdo Zoom, who is trying to outdo Slack and Salesforce. So you always have to look for incremental capabilities within each of the tools you already support. And the floodgate of new tools is not going to stop. There is always going to be the next network. So the pace at which you receive requests from your business to support a new tool, our customers are saying that rate is accelerated. Used to be a rate for some about one per week where they were getting an ask from a, a frontline staff to support Network X. That rate has increased because of the variety of communication sources that are now out there. So it needs to be dynamic. The process that you go through to inspect features of existing tools and new tools, it's an ongoing compliance forum that we see firms have this as a standing group that gets together regularly, looks at some of these new requests. A little over a year ago, in sort of March 2020, the country shut down due to the first wave of COVID, and we had the work from home. We thought perhaps in uh, the summer we were going to come out of that and return to work. And we've had a couple of variants pop up. But you described the evolution of work and tools for work to the work from home. But 
how has the return to the office added another level of complexity, if at all? Has it, It's added a tremendous amount of complexity. And what we see in financial, as well as what I see here in Silicon Valley, is that at least for the foreseeable future, a lot of organizations are going to operate in some form of a hybrid capacity. I may be in the office on Monday and Thursday, working from home Tuesday and Friday, and the fifth day of the week, I could be in Lake Tahoe, who knows, but I'll be connected on on a technology. Now, the challenge is that if you're a compliance executive, your controls need to work uniformly, regardless of where you are. So you need to be securing an individual, not securing the particular location that individual is located in. So if I am using Zoom in the office, my client may be on Zoom on their mobile device, you know, in Lake Tahoe, the compliance exec somewhere else. I need to make sure that all of these things work regardless of location, regardless of the technology. So the problem is increased exponentially just in terms of making sure you don't have blind spots. You do because individuals are working in their basement or perhaps on a home computer. So it just created much more surface area for compliance teams to have to be accountable for. How does a company get its frontline business folks to talk to the compliance folks? That seems to be one of the ongoing challenges for compliance. Is it having a speak-up culture? Is it having a compliance function that's, that's really business-oriented, understanding that they do have certain compliance obligations? Or is it some mix thereof? I think it's a mix. One of the techniques we've seen to be very effective is, is to elicit the power users in some of these exercises of supporting new tools. Because you know, what we're talking about here really is not just a function of the pandemic. It's really about firms becoming digitally transformed. You know, my job is done an entirely you know, on electronic medium. And some employees are going to be more comfortable, more proficient, more productive with that than others. And one strategy is to co-opt the power users, the digital natives, the individuals that were born with a cell phone in their hands, because they're going to know best practices. They're going to know the things that you know, are going to help them be productive. But you, know, you can provide the guardrails to help ensure that they're not running into issues where information is leaking or it's creating risk. So using those folks to help others that aren't as comfortable with some of these communication sources, that's, I think, a great strategy. Make them part of the program. So how can a company lay down a technological foundation for its uh, future communication strategy using communications intelligence or any of the other smart suite of tools? It's a great question. And I think when firms realize that one option here is to maintain a series of, of information silos, which no shortage in experience in dealing with that. But all of these communications all have their own mechanism to capture, to store, to review. And one alternative is to work with multiple best of breed providers or technologies to do that. But I think the recognition is since these are all distinct, it really becomes difficult for someone to have expertise and visibility across everything. So you know, one of the, the strategies and one of the values of just being able to tie these communications together is it reduces the need to be multilingual in knowing what someone may be saying on Slack. It's encoded differently than what someone could have said on Teams. So I think looking for a point of unification where you can bring these communications together in one place so that you can have a more holistic view of the individual. It's a good foundational concept to think about as opposed to continuing to deal with 
the implementation of the next communication system as an entirely separate entity in, a, in and of itself. We've talked about sort of the evolution that uh, I've seen in capturing communications, and certainly you have been a part of literally for 25 years. But where do you see communications data strategies down the road in, in 2025 or perhaps even beyond? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have a hard time seeing, you know, into 2023. I mean, so 2025 is, <laughs> we may be all on, you know, aut- autonomous, self-driving, biodegradable, you know, vehicles or who knows what. But I think one of the things from a compliance and risk perspective that we're finding a lot of companies running into is that you can find yourselves hitting the limits of a human being's ability to understand data, and especially when it's heterogeneous. So we're seeing two things happen. One is an acceleration in public cloud adoption, like AWS and GCP and Microsoft Azure. That's one dynamic. So I, I would expect that was that would continue. And secondly, we're seeing adoption at enterprise level of, of natural language processing and artificial intelligence solutions. So the use of the machine to help individuals get through the volume and variety of information that's being generated. I mean, those two dynamics are are definitely on trend lines that look like they'll just become even more prominent and common across not just large enterprises, but into medium size and even smaller firms here in the in the near future. Robert, I was going to ask you a question along the lines of having a robust communication status strategy going to become a market differentiator. But now after listening to you, I may change that to ask you, is this is not simply a nice to have, but just table stakes to get into the game? Absolutely. And, you know, we were hearing this phrase before the pandemic that when firms were looking at new communication sources, they were making the decision that if they said no, chances are their competitors may say yes. And so this is not just about technology for its own sake. It's generating satisfaction from your employees. It's generating comfort and familiarity with your clients. It's building, you know, a relationship that engages on their terms. So I think absolutely it's we're seeing the table stakes dimension of this already. Robert, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, Smarsh, or any of the topics we've touched upon in this podcast, where could they go? I would recommend folks subscribe to our blog. We are very active in the use of our blog, in particular because our customers, more than anything else, want to hear from their peers. They want to see where other organizations like theirs currently are, how they're handling some of these tough questions. So we try to stay on top of that as well as just keep up with what the SEC and FINRA are talking about. So smarsh.com slash blog, and you will see a subscribe button. So I would, I would hope folks would be able to engage with us there on that platform. Robert, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've learned so much. And frankly, that's how I judge how good a podcast is, is how much I learned. So we get an A plus on this one. Awesome. I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I do have one request that I hope we can continue this conversation. Absolutely, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.